Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So today's episode of Stock Talk moves away from the beef and sheep sector that we've been focusing on for the last few episodes and focuses on dairy. So uh, with that, we're really pleased to have Lorna McPherson, a SEC's dairy consultant, back with us today and also joining her as a former colleague of mine or of ours in Jimmy Goldie from Cars Billington. So hello to you both. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good to see you both, or good to have you both on. Um, Lorna, do you want to give us a quick run through what your role is and what's keeping you busy with SEC at the moment? Yes, no problem, Robert. Yeah, so my role with SEC is, well, I'm part of the livestock team uh, and very much uh, involved in nutritional work. So it's a really busy time uh, of year at the moment, as you can imagine, with uh, cattle being housed. So much of my work is doing one-to-one nutritional support and rationing work for farmers, primarily on the dairy side, but a little bit of beef work as well. Uh, And with our organisation, we've got 24 offices across Scotland. So it's not just farmers that I'm doing nutritional support for. It's also our colleagues and consultants across Scotland as well. Um, At this time of year, we often have a lot more uh, farmer events uh, and farmer meetings going on. So it's a busy time traveling around the country, uh, attending meetings, speaking to farmers uh, and just trying to help them with current challenges at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, And Jimmy, what about you? So you've got, I suppose, the the interesting role that you've you've done that job. So you were, when, when was it you left SEC? Uh, almost 10 years ago. Has it? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None of us must be getting old. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. um, so you're, you were obviously in a similar role to what Lorna's doing. Uh, and now what, what's your role at CARS? So what, what happens there? Yeah, I'm technical manager for Cars Billington, so I look after the feed range that we have out on farm, but I also spend a lot of time on farm doing diets, looking at winter feeding and support our sales team uh, out there as well. Uh, And as Lorna says, this time of year is very busy. Uh, I think all dairy cows are now inside, a few heifers still outside, but on the whole, all stocks housed. It's been quite a a challenging summer just because of weather, so it's looking now at what we... uh, match that going into the, the winter we've got a very wide variation in uh, forage results and something we should maybe have a bit of a discussion about just sort of what we're finding out there in terms of forage uh, although we sell feed we're uh, very aware that forage is the, the key to everything in, in a dairy farm so we want to make sure we know about the forage and we balance the forage well uh, to get the best results yeah brilliant and and i think i'm really pleased to have both of you on today because I think it highlights our place or our, our role in the industry is that we're not, none of us are competing here. You know, we've got this, we're all fighting the same fight and representing the same the same farmer to, to their end. And ultimately, if we can, in whatever role we've got, got in that, if we can facilitate farmer to be better at what, farmers to be better at what they do to make more money, ultimately, the, the whole thing we're all in a better place um, and probably that means you get to sell more cake and things as well Jimmy. So, <laughs> uh, everyone wins but, so going back to you Lorna what, what, how are you finding the mood out there at the moment how, where are farmers at 
um, and t- things have obviously changed over the last few months. But wh- wh- how's the mood going out there? I think it's going to be a challenging winter. Uh, we talk about things have changed a lot in the last few months, and you're right. We've seen a massive drop in milk prices since December last year from the start of the year. And on average, for farmers that are on non-aligned contracts, you know, milk prices probably dropped in the region of between 10 to 15 pence per litre, uh, depending on what contract they're on. And yes, feed prices have eased back a wee bit, but not as much as in relation to how much the milk prices dropped. So margins are tight. You know, so towards the end of last year, I think, you know, people that were doing a good job were, were making money when the milk price was up between 46 to 50 pence a litre. But now we're down in the early to mid 30s, really. So feed prices haven't come back uh, that much, really, in relation. So it's it's going to be a tough winter. Farmers are concerned about prices that they're paying for their feed. They're looking for ways to try and feed more cheaply. They're wanting to try and maximise output from really what they've got on farm and, and, and maximise use of forage to try and produce milk as efficiently as they can. Yeah. Jimmy, so the... Would we would we be thinking the average milk price at the moment will be somewhere about about thirty six or somewhere about that? Would that be reasonable? Yeah, um, probably thirty five, thirty six depends on as long as I said what contract uh, individual yeah. farms are on. Uh, but on average, again, as long as I said ten to fifteen pence a litre drop compared Back. to this time last year and that's a, a phenomenal drop in milk price and you look at other costs feed prices come back a little bit but a lot of the other costs have come back slightly but not that much fertilizers a little bit cheaper but it depends what you're comparing it with fuel was coming back in price but in the last month it's gone back up in price so we haven't seen the all overall the input costs and that includes labor and machinery costs as well haven't come down anything like uh, what milk prices dropped in the last 12 months yeah so do you have a handle on what you're the kind of and again every system's different but average cost of production at the moment yeah, you know what we're looking at? If you look last year, the quoted cost of production was about 43 pence a litre. So when milk price was high 40s, uh, there was a, probably a good margin to be made. And that was seen over a number of farms. And I've been speaking to a few customers just in the last week or so, trying to get a handle on uh, where we are in terms of cost of production. And probably the, the, the figure that's quoted just now is around about 37 pence a litre. So when you look at the average uh, return on farm, probably somewhere between 30 34 and 36 as a non-aligned contract, but there's a number of uh, producers who will be down in the low 30s and some even below 30. And every contract's different. When you look at certain contracts, looking at the headline price and then look at what's received, there's quite a difference. Yeah, it's such a challenging thing at the moment where we've got last year, we had probably, and I think in my career, it would be the best time to produce milk that we've seen. You know, it's, the margins were were tremendous and, and people were genuinely making money, reinvesting money and, and in many cases much needed, you know, things that they had maybe hadn't done for, they'd put off for several years, they had got to the point they could do it. Many have pushed the envelope a bit, borrowed some money and all of a sudden we're in the point where we had a genuine significant surplus last year and now a deficit this year plus the cost of what we've done this year so is that fair across the board we're, we're finding those those guys that have pushed the envelope probably are the ones that are, are struggling the most 
I, I think there's quite a variation out there in terms of, yes, there's been money to be made. When you look at dairy industry over the last 15, 20 years, we always see these peaks and troughs. And as you rightly say, it depends what that money's been spent on, where it's been invested for the future. That can be very positive. And it depends where cash flow fits in with that short term and medium term. And the same going forward depends a little bit of what the prospects are uh, of if milk price starts to come back up a little bit, is this a trough that we need to get through? and then carry on. Uh, our adage is that the cows don't know the price of milk or the price of feed, so we still have to look after the nutrition of them to get them through so that they still milk and they, they still get back and calve uh, month on month and we don't cut corners too much, but we've got to be mindful of cash flow. I'll just jump in there as well and just say, um, I think, yes, I mean, milk prices were fantastic towards the end of last year, but it was very short-lived. As well, we have to remember that um, there's some some of the main milk buyers. Again, they've cut their price again this month for November. But I would like to think that we have hit the bottom in terms of milk prices, and we're starting to see a wee bit more positivity in the commodity market. So, buttercream, skim milk powder, mild cheddar. Not so much the cheddar, but the buttercream and the skim milk powder prices uh, have certainly been uh, on the rise again recently, and we've seen in the global dairy trade uh, auction, uh, which happens every couple of weeks. Um, we're seeing a lot more positive movements in price on the global market of these dairy commodities. Now, that does take a bit of time to filter back into milk prices, uh, and there's usually a good bit of a time lag, maybe three or four months. So I think it, at the moment, it's still going to be a good few months before we maybe start to see any significant rises in milk prices. Um, and I think partly that is also down to the fact that, um, you know, production as well, you know, there's still an oversupply of milk in this country and probably globally as well. It has slowed down a wee bit, uh, certainly in the second half of this year, um, production is dropping, but there's, there's still a surplus of milk about. So that's, that's not necessarily going to help going forward. But the markets are starting to look a bit more positive now, which is a good thing. It'll just take a while to filter back through into the farm gate milk price. It's, it's a really important message that is, and, and hopefully I'm putting the right message out to my dairy clients, but the, we in Ayrshire still have the, the, in fact, it wasn't just in Ayrshire, but there was some people in 2016 time where we were on some horrific milk prices and the hangover from that is still on the go both in terms of people's books, but mostly in terms of people's attitudes and mindsets. You know, there's always this real fear that we land up in some absolutely catastrophic milk price. And the theory or the, the fear for some was that it had been spiked very high for it, as you say, Lorna, for a short period of time. Was the trough going to be as high as, as the peak was? And if that was the case, they weren't fit to weather the storm. And, and I think we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's what's coming around the corner. We don't know what the a, you know, the next global economic shock might be or something that changes the whole dynamics of everything. But there's nothing on the, the horizon that appears to be really negative for dairying. You know, as, as you see, Lorna, hopefully we're nearing or at the bottom and there's, there's things to be positive about. So, Jimmy, you mentioned earlier about the supply having significantly changed in the, in the last few weeks. Is that worth discussing at the moment. Yeah, when you look, and again, partly the, the sort of lag that Lorna was talking about there, uh, when milk price was high, milk volumes were, were quite good and uh, quite strong in the spring and they were 
following very much uh, up till the beginning of September, very much similar production to last year. Uh, if you remember back to the beginning of September, we had a, a week of warm weather, but very, very humid weather, and that had quite a big impact in cows. We talked quite a bit about heat stress earlier in the summer, but it didn't affect cows as much as it did in September. And I think the combination of milk price being a bit lower and that effect on cows at that time, I've seen production drop quite significantly since then. And just now we're about a million litres a day behind last year's production. So that's quite significant. That ties in very much with what Lorna was saying with the ingredient costs starting to rise and production be a little bit tighter. That shows a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel going into uh, early part of next year that milk price might start to rise a little bit again. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But um, I suppose so. The other side of the coin, and and I, I suppose why why you're on here as well, Jimmy, is the the feed story. So the the most significant cost. Um, how are things looking there? So what what's the outlook for? When obviously there'll be a lot of contract a lot of contracted feed for the winter, but what's the feed market looking like, and, and where do you think we'll be with that later on in the year or into the spring? Yeah, it's interesting. Over the last two years, I think uncertainty is the word that we've used uh, most often. And if you think back, starting from COVID uh, onwards, uh, there was a lot of difficulty with supplies. And at certain points, we were very concerned about whether or not we would get enough raw materials to, to make some of our feeds. That was a concern. We're then looking at the war in Ukraine, again, having a very significant effect on supplies of feed. And it just showed us worldwide how much we think about our, our feed mills and we uh, deliver feed out to a farm that's 30 miles along the road but what we then think about is how it gets into the mill in the first place it comes from the UK we we buy in about 45% of our raw materials out with the UK so they've got to be transferred in so that what's going to be going on in the world has created uh, that great deal of uncertainty looking back probably 12 months ago the feed prices uh, that were out there across the board were probably the highest any as any of us have ever seen so that was took a bit of getting used to of just how how we dealt with that whether we changed the raw materials we used whether we changed how we feed cows that has changed slightly over the last 12 months that feed has come back a little bit and in some cases it's as much as £100 a tonne that that's come back from the, the peak but it depends as you say contracted where you, what you're comparing that with so it's quite variable of what price is on farm depending on what contracts are there because a number of companies probably smooth out that peak and trough of what, what we can forward by and what we've got uh, raw material wise looking forward into the spring uh, cereals have come back quite a little bit uh, from where they were but again supplies are the thing that might affect that over the over the period uh, proteins again quite variable in the last week or so soya has been very expensive and i've heard quote of uh, loads of soya at 500 pounds a ton again so where, where does that look so going into that uh, right now we're actually reasonably stable in terms of where feed prices are at but the concern with things in the middle east whether that starts to uh, again put some supply concerns in there and we start to see prices and, and our concern is just that volatility of, of what we can what we get over the next uh, few months but it looks fairly stable at the minute i don't see it coming back significantly over the next little while but hopefully we're, we're down a, a fair bit from where we were 
when you say, Jimmy, that you don't really see prices coming back in the next week while, uh, that makes me think that probably uh, for farmers looking at ahead and thinking about what their costs are going to be and monitoring cash flows, then fixing their feed price for the winter is potentially a good thing. And having worked in the feed trade before, I would say the majority of winters, feed prices usually tend to go up, in which case I'd say most of the time it's usually a good idea to fix. And you won't always get it right, but at least you know what your costs are going to be going forward. Yeah, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation yesterday with someone who has been uh, bobbing along, not fixing. Uh, and to be honest, I think that's been the right thing up to now because prices have been quite stable and there hasn't been any uh, urgency to do that fixing. But just exactly as you've described there, how long do you go before it starts to rise back up so we just had that conversation that fixing now through to april uh might be sensible and it's like anything we buy you buy something you, you go into a shop and you buy something you go back a month later it's in the, in the sale or it's cheaper or it's more expensive and we it's the same for farmers out there looking at feed we you make the decision of yep that's that seems a sensible price for what i want to buy i would always like it cheaper but that's the price that it's at just now you then that's it fixed in it might go down five ten pounds a ton it might go up 20 pounds a ton so you take that pitch of what's the right figure to go for and then you then you stop worrying about it there's a retired bank manager in this area that used to talk about um you know if they were ever, ever asked whether you should fix money he would always say fix half of it and that way you'll be half right and half wrong and there's yep. a lot of people who listen to that who contract their cake but leave their blind or, you know, and, and actually you don't have to do it all. It's just lock in, lock in, know roughly where you're at and see, see where you are. Um, and, and certainly that's not to say go and lock in borrowed money at the moment either. You know, that, or this is, that's not what this conversation's all about. Um, Interesting, Robert, I think fertilisers are a little bit like that as well, that what's going to happen with fertiliser, the price of oil might go up. And I think the advice is exactly that, is get some of it so that you've got some in stock for the spring ready to, to spread it, but not necessarily go and get it all. So I think that is good sound advice. Yeah. And the interesting one with fertiliser as well, the guys over the last few years, so I jumped into the market at a time when I wouldn't normally buy last year and got it badly wrong really badly wrong. Uh, however, I had fertilizer to spread in the spring. I wasn't waiting for it coming. So, um, But it's interesting doing doing what you normally do when things are in, you know, a bit rummly and, and unsure where it's going. Doing what you normally do quite often is actually okay. Because when you look at what the guys who bought, always bought in March, they were expensive and then cheap. And the guys who always bought in the autumn were cheap and then expensive. So, you know, there is, have a bit of faith in what, what you do already, take advice, but it's not, a, it doesn't need to be radically different to what you normally do. Yeah, farming's mm. a long-term game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on, I suppose, on to options. So we've looked at roughly where we're going, and I think there's, ha- happily, there's a reasonable uh, positivity there. I'm thinking about what we do on, on herds, and I wonder, Lorna, whether a herd we can talk about. So obviously we've got a client confidentiality and things to, to consider, but one, one herd that we do all know pretty well is a Crichton and, and Barony, so our a, our own farms. Your involvement there, Lorna, is pretty regular. You're, you're there once a month, aren't you? 
yes, uh huh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm down there once a month having a look around the cows, just seeing how they're getting on, how performance is, uh, tweaking rations if we need to, just depending on what the cows are telling us. Yeah. So what's if we compare last year to this year, just in terms of diet and options and, and the, what, what we're targeting, can you compare and contrast between last year and this year? Um. I would say in terms of the way we're feeding the cows, we're probably not feeding that much different, really. I would say over the last few months, we've been making good use of some uh, distillery byproducts. Uh, we thought we were going to be a wee bit short on forage uh, before the summer. So, um, yeah, we have been using some distillery byproducts. And I would say even you know, looking at things like that for the winter, they generally are a good buy. They will certainly help save a little bit on purchase protein uh, and usually come in quite cost effective. Um, and I think one of the good things about some of these products, whether it's things like super grains or draft or vitagol, for example, um, they're great for helping encourage good intakes, especially if silage is particularly wet and maybe not as palatable as we'd like it to be, or if the silage is particularly dry. Um, it just helps uh, moisten the ration a wee bit and help improve intake. So, if that's something that's available in your area uh, and at a reasonable price, and I would say even at £40 a tonne for a draft, it's, it's still a good buy in relation to where some of our protein prices are. And, and obviously soy as well, when we're hearing it's maybe over £500 a tonne now. Um, but no, I would say we're not really looking to feed the cows that much differently. We've made a lot of forage this, uh, this summer. Uh, we've got a lot of really good grass uh, silage in the pits. Um, we've started milking um our cows at Acre Head three times a day just over the last month and seen a good uh, about 10% increase in, in milk output at the moment. Um, and at Barney, we're milking about half the herd three times a day and the other half twice a day. Uh, we might look to put them all onto three times a day uh, going forward. Uh, and to be fair, they're doing that pretty well without uh, not a lot of extra concentrate. So I think that's certainly been a a positive move in terms of just trying to get a wee bit more uh, milk out the cows, uh, hopefully fairly cost effectively. Jimmy, in the field at the moment, if we assume, obviously there's lots of variability in forages and lots of, you know, lots of difference out there, but if we assume you've got a, a reasonable pit of silage in front of you, what are the options for cutting costs, maintaining output, maintaining fertility? What, what's your uh, kind of go-to things at the moment? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of variation out there in terms of forage. We want to try and maximise everything. We're trying to get the right balance. And it's looking at all of that of, I am passionate about fertility, that if we compromise too many things and we, we lose body condition, we lose fertility, it's a, a long way to recovery. So we need to be mindful of all of these things. Ultimately, the cows we're looking after are ruminants, so the forage element of the diet is very, very important. And we often see some diets that trying to push, and it's interesting when milk price was high, everybody wants a little bit more, we, we push and push, and sometimes we compromise and forget how much forage they're eating so that's always something that we look at and try and get back to is to make sure that they're eating enough of the forage there is that variation Lorna was saying earlier about palatability and different things within that forage so it's making sure that we, we're mindful of that and get that balance right the next part is looking at what are we expecting and when you look at 
genetics and uh, advancement over the last while. Uh, I was in a herd the other day that maybe two, three years ago was doing 9,000 litres, is now doing 11,000 litres. So looking at trying to cheapen that diet and compromising the nutrition on that means it's no longer an 11,000 litre cow or 11,000 litre herd. So uh, we need to go back to the what do we want and if these genetic the cows have got the genetic merit to do that if we don't feed them properly they, they don't get back and calve so we need to get all that balance but we need to then look at what the forage is contributing and we also need to give the cow the opportunity to eat forage because often ask is how much silage a cow will eat and it very much depends on what else you feed it so if you pile a lot of other things into it funnily enough it doesn't eat a lot of forage so we need to be mindful of that as well that we give it the opportunity to eat forage it's then looking at balancing that predominantly with cereals cereals are relatively cheap compared to a lot of other things so we need to make sure that we give them plenty of cereals and then balance that up with protein what additives we then put in depends on how that balances additives can be useful but they don't always they're not always essential so we've got a question why are we putting certain things in do we still need to put them in is there a different way to do it and that way we end up with the best balance and hopefully the best value diet i do wonder sometimes i, I a lot of my work is beef focused and when we're talking about genetics I always reference the dairy sector because I think the progress that's been made in the dairy sector and if we take for example Jimmy in the, in the 10 years since you since you left us uh, at that stage a 10,000 litre average wasn't it wasn't exceptional but it was it wasn't common you know there was there was a few doing it now it's standard you know, it's, it's, there's, there's people not, there's people for good reason, there's different systems, but there's a lot of people pushing a lot harder than 10,000 litres. Have we got to the point where, you know, the cow type, if we accept that we're going to have peaks and troughs, so we're going to have, and we don't know how long those peaks and troughs are going to be, but if it's going to be a volatile market, are we breeding the wrong type of cow? So we're breeding a cow that's exceptionally good at converting forage, converting feed into milk, but not very good at being able to take the, you can't take your foot off the pedal. Is there an argument going forward that we should be selecting for those that are fit to do, to go well when times are good and ease off better? Because I know most of these herds now, if you ease off, if you pull two or three kilos out, two or three kilos of cake out the diet, it all goes wrong. When you're saying selecting, Robert, do you mean selecting the cow or selecting the farmer? Oh, okay. Uh, I, was, I was selecting the cow. <laughs> I, I, I think you take two parts of that. One is the genetics and the ability of the cow. There's no doubt in again just conversations over the last uh, couple of weeks looking at genomics which is amazing advancement of as you say from compared to 10 years ago with that uh, knowledge is is fantastic but we still see that variation when you look at a batch of heifers do they all do 35 litres or is there some in there that do 25 litres and some do 35 litres and why so is that down to genetics or is it down to and I'll, I'll use the word environment an environment by a mean feed space cubicle space ventilation all of these things which again we see a huge variation on farm and when we get to when we're doing 8,000 litres these things are slightly less uh, crucial but when we get to the 10 11 12,000 litres these things make a, a massive difference to that performance in individual herds.
We then also need to look at stock and rate in terms of land value. So where we've got these uh, higher yielding herds, the forage input overall the land requirement is probably slightly less when we look at a more extensive system of, of a, a grazing uh, a spring block grazing system the we, we need more acres of land and land's not cheap one of the things we haven't talked about yet is, is sustainability it's the main focus it's the main driver for all policy for all milk buyers it's interesting to see how milk buyers are actually responding to climate change and biodiversity quicker than I mean government policy cycles are always slow you know it's the, the nature of the beast whereas the milk buyers can respond really quickly so Lorna are you are you getting a lot of sustainability quite type work and conversations happening um not personally but I know across the organization there's a lot of work being done in that area and more and more farms are looking at their carbon footprint or having to do a carbon footprint uh, for their milk buyers so I think people are getting more and more switched on to it and also more switched on to the fact that um, it's not just a tick box exercise it's in the farmer's interest because it's really a measure of how efficiently you're using your inputs so if you can reduce your carbon footprint then chances are you're going to improve your bottom line as well and going back to your query about you know should we be looking at changing the cow changing the system and i think within our industry we're always going to have that huge diversity of you know our really low input new zealand style extensive grazing herds right through to our housed herds that are doing twelve thousand liters plus and it's not to say one's more efficient than the other generally i think you know if you're looking at your carbon footprint and your emissions per kilo of milk then on average your higher yielding herds tend to be maybe slightly more efficient because they've got more kilos of milk to to spread their emissions over um you're right i mean it is these really high yielding herds that there maybe is less scope to try and maybe reduce feed costs significantly there when times are tough because those cows are performing at such a high level they're they really are on a knife edge but um, like Jimmy said, we've got to feed for health. We've got to feed for fertility. And you can get some fantastic, really high-performing herds that have got fantastic condition, great health, very low lameness, and they've got really low calving intervals. They're doing a really good job. So I don't think it's necessarily our place to say we should be maybe shifting towards maybe slightly lower, low-input herds to try and help combat the times when feed prices are still relatively high and milk prices are low. Yeah, I just wonder whether with the power of genomics we can find the the dual purpose cow that can do both. But then also we land up if you've got that, you land up chasing the market. You take your foot off the pedal when it's bad, and then it's you know maybe it's just the case where you've you've just got to knuckle in with the system you've got and accept the highs and the lows in equal measure. Yeah. It's, think, not, it's not easy to turn off the milk, is it? Yeah, one one bit that that came out there is the kind of conflict between carbon footprint and economics you know the, the carbon footprint often you know to certainly in, in in a lot of systems you become more efficient you save money and you you save on the carbon front however the the in the dairy thing your nine thousand litre cow at the moment almost certainly pays better than your thirteen thousand litre cow and but the thirteen thousand litre cow almost certainly has lower emissions because there's, there's still that one rumen with 13 tonnes of milk coming coming out of the system. So there's a, 
an important but I think it's really important that we as an industry we we engage with the carbon story we really go for it but I think we need to make sure that we don't just hang our hat on that or just hang our hat on one specific thing because we do so many different jobs and ultimately we know that dairy has a pretty good environmental story or, a, or certainly from a, an emissions story it's got quite a good story to tell we need to work on improving that story and improving the way we tell that story but I think we need to be very careful we don't just only chase for that one metric because the dairy industry has chased for one metric in the past when we selected purely for milk couldn't get cows and calves couldn't get cows able to stand couldn't you know single metric selection is dangerous whether it's in a cow or in a a, a business as well yeah, I totally agree with that. And we look at the carbon footprint as a, two, two separate issues. One is looking at that performance side. So you're looking at age at first calving of heifers, you're looking at fertility, uh, you're looking at replacement rate. And looking at that, that's just good farming practice. And if we can get that good and efficient, that is very, very positive from a carbon footprint point of view and very positive from an economic point of view. So that ties in very nicely. And the other side of it is looking at then uh, what raw materials we, so can, can we have lower carbon uh, feeds? Can we have lower protein feeds that we put into the diet that helps the carbon footprint from that angle? So to me, there's, there's two, two, two plans of attack on it in terms of how we, we manage and look after carbon footprint. But as you rightly say, Robert, we need to embrace it uh, from a, a, just from a performance point of view as well as a, an environmental point of view. The, we've covered where we've been, where, where we are and where we're maybe going. Some of the options for the for the winter and I think the the key there is we know where the average farmer is or the options of average farmers got but make sure you've got analysis and rations and, and had good conversations about your your individual issues because some people have got exceptionally good forages exceptionally bad forage there's lots to talk about but do have those conversations my question to finish with today is about what further down the line so if we look maybe 10 years from now what does in your opinion and the crystal ball is a dangerous thing to look in so it will not hold you to it but maybe 10 years from down the line from now where do you think the dairy industry is going to be that's a really tough question <laughs> i think it's a really good question lorda <laughs> I think one of the biggest challenges in the industry at the moment, and everyone says it's a problem, is labour. There's a lot of technology, you know, advances in the dairy industry. I think we'll see even greater advances as time goes on. Um, there'll maybe, I guess, be even more robotic milking systems. We can never get away from the need for labour. We always need good stock people. Um, but I think we will see huge advances in, in that area. Um, I suppose a lot depends as well on how much pressure comes from consumers, public perception of dairying. Will will we see a move away from more intensive large farms to smaller, more extensive, more grazing farms? A, a lot of that is going to depend on climate as well. Um, you know, we've had such a very wet uh, back end to the year. It's not been great for grazing outside. Um it's a really difficult question to answer. I'd like to think that we'll still have a we'll still have a thriving dairy industry and people will just be even more efficient at doing things than they are now. But I think, yeah, the advances in robotics, technology, making use of data on farm, I think will be a good bit ahead of where we are now. And I think that's the only the only way I can 
I can answer that question. <laughs> Not yeah. an easy one. Good. No, Jimmy, any thoughts? Yeah, the first part, uh, I'll agree with a lot of uh, what Lorna's just said, but the first part of that is we still have to eat. So food production, I think, is key. And I think that's something that we should never forget, that we need to look at where our, our food comes from and making sure that we produce our, our food in a, a good economic way and in a good sustainable way. Uh, I think labour is going to be a continual challenge, without a doubt. That's something that we've seen in the last five years, and I think we'll continue to see that. Absolutely, technology is going to be continue to advance. Genetics, genomics will keep going as well. So I think we'll see that when we've looked at uh, cow numbers and herd numbers over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it continues to decline. I think the quote was there's less than 800 dairy farms in Scotland now. So we probably will continue to see that slight decline. Whether we see any reduction in cow numbers, which seems to have stabilised lately, I think they might stay quite similar. But I think, as Lorna says, labour and technology are the two things that we'll see uh, continual change on. But yeah, like Lorna said, I agree. I think we'll still have a, a vibrant dairy industry. Yeah, and I, I think there's no doubt. And, and I think the as the climate conversation changes and as the climate change conversation changes, I think our credentials are improving all the time as well. You know, I think public perception of what we do is improving. I'm not sure if we do a, a good enough job as an industry of shouting about the good stuff and telling people, you know, if you meet, if you're a lay person and you meet a farmer in the pub, they'll tell you how busy they are and how it's, you know, it's tough going and they need to put out of bed. You know, we don't actually do the client facing bit very well and, and fully encourage people to get involved in this. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good work, but I think collectively we could probably do a better job at promoting our industry to our consumer and also to our potential well, our pool of labour, which is actually the same people. Because actually where we're at with dairying right now is it's a hugely complex, data-driven, exciting place to be. You know, a dairy farm, there's a, an awful lot happening. It's not just we milk cows either end of the day and we, you know, we, we bed beasts through the day. You know, there's, there's a lot of really good, complex exciting stuff happening and I I'm, I hope we can do our bit to to tell young people tell or, or people with changing careers and things that this is actually a proper career it's not just a job and there's there's endless amount of opportunities so I, I'm certain there's a positive a you know a, a really exciting future for for dairy farmers and, and actually my 10-year my question 10 years isn't that long a time you know it's it'll be here before we know it and There'll be a lot of change, but there'll be a lot of similarities. So with that, I didn't mean to do a monologue at the end. Apologies for that one. Um, but no, just a big thank you to you both. Uh, that's been really useful. So to you both, would it be worth having a couple of key points, things, takeaway messages for, for farmers listening to this? So what, what should they go away and do? Jimmy, do you want to go first? Yeah, first one is stick with it. Uh, we're, we're good at what we know, and I think that's that's really important. Look after the cow, but get the detail right in terms of analyse the forage, get the balance right, and uh, get the basics right. And Lorna, any parting shots from you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's that's really the important things. I suppose feed is one of your biggest costs, so make sure you're feeding as efficiently as possible. Regular forage analysis, just keep on top of that. And benchmark as well, if it's not something that you do much of at the moment, um, 
benchmark, know what your monthly costings are, your monthly figures, milk from forage, all these things are really important just to track the performance of your business and just try and identify areas where maybe things aren't working quite as well as they should be. And hopefully there's opportunities there to, to make small improvements in efficiency that'll help. Brilliant. Great advice. Thank you very much. Super. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.